Welcome. This is the Deep Background Podcast coming to you from the Kansas City Stars newsroom. One of the few podcasts where we're, someone won't try to sell you a prepared recipe. <laughs> we may be the last one. But I'm Scott Cannon. I'm a reporter. I'm joined here today by our deep thinkers on the editorial board, um, Colleen McCain-Nelson, good to have you, and uh, Dave Helling, who everybody has heard everywhere all the time. <laughs> and we're, we're glad right. to have both of you here today. We're going to talk a little bit about the first 100 days of Trump. It's we're recording this on Wednesday, I think Saturday, depending on how you make the calculation on the half day of the inauguration, is about the 100-day uh, landmark. And um, so we're going to kick it around. I, I, I do want to remind people, sort of throw this back in the face of the editorial page and see how they respond. That, That's fair. <laughs> so, so, Colleen, you, you are leading the uh, Resurrection of the Stars editorial board, and the first work product you guys did as an editorial was headline, Giving President Donald Trump a Chance, it said in part, Declaring, declaring this a failed presidency before it even begins won't help our country. Like every president before him, Trump deserves a chance to succeed, and Americans should commit to giving him the opportunity to do so. Part of our reasoning comes from principle. Like it or not, Trump is now the president for all of America. The nation faces enormous challenges, and on and on. <laughs> we um, did say that, yes. <laughs> and how do you feel about that at this point, guys? Well... It's still early. We're only, as you say, uh, about 100 days in, and um, I, we are trying to give him a chance, but we're also criticizing him where we feel criticism is merited. And so we laid out some markers, just kind of basic guidelines for how we would judge Trump. And they're the same guidelines that we would use to judge any politician. I mean, we expect him to be honest, and that's been a problem during the first 100 days. We we expect him to work across the aisle to talk to both Republicans and Democrats. He's, he's struggled with that. But we've also uh, tried to fairly judge him and praise him where he's made some good decisions and offer some hopefully constructive guidance along the way. Um, it's been an interesting 100 days in part because it seems like so much has happened, but yet so little has happened <laughs> in that it's been a whirlwind of 100 days, but um, the Trump administration really doesn't have any major accomplishments. Right. So the ratio of palace intrigue at the White House is way out of whack towards sort of accomplishment, although it is, you know, a little bizarre that we've always, we've long been obsessed with these first hundred days. I guess that dates the Kennedys. Right. And I think it's, everyone's pointing out that it is arbitrary and arguably foolish. I mean, what's the difference between a hundred days and 120 days? We don't know. But about it 20 is, days, I about think, 20 if days. I get the math right. Uh, at least the politics of it. H having said that, it's good at some point in the first three or four months to step back and say, okay, what have we learned about the new president in this sort of three or four months since he, he or she took office? I, I, mean, I think that's a valuable exercise. But, Colleen, you may disagree with me, but I, I think we would write almost the exact same editorial today that we wrote then. I mean, I, I still think it's valuable to say, let's see what happens and not to prejudge, even going forward, uh, what a President Trump might or might not do. I mean, you, the, the, the alternative is to say on Inauguration Day, he's hopeless, he's worthless, he's an idiot, we, nothing he does can be right. And I just don't think that's, no reasonable person can say that. I mean, you, 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 he is the President of the United States. You do have to look at the evidence and judge him on the merits and not because of your preconceived notions of what he or she might be. Now, 
having said that, I think the first 100 days have been horrible. I mean, I, it's hard to pick anything out and say, you know, if you talk to supporters, they'll go, well, Neil Gorsuch was uh, uh, nominated and confirmed. But that would have happened under any Republican president. It might not have been Neil Gorsuch, but it was going to be a conservative justice. And the Senate blew up the filibuster to get there. I'm not sure that's an accomplishment that the judicial filibuster for Supreme Court nominees has been destroyed forever. So that's kind of a 50-50 jump ball. Uh, he still hasn't appointed a lot of people to office. Uh, you know, he launched missiles in Syria. Is that an accomplishment? I don't know if that you put that on the board. So I think judging him by the criteria that we laid out on January 19th or 20th, whatever it was, or 21st, the, the criteria are still valid. What, have you, what do you say? What do you do? Have you told us the truth? Have you moved the ball toward whatever goal line you set? And on those standards, I think the first 100 days have been a failure. Right. Well, let's check off this box. You know, he did have during the campaign the contract with the American voter and declared a number of things that he would do in the first 100 days, most of which he has not accomplished. He's tweeted and said in interviews, well, this 100 days is arbitrary. And I think it was the AP he told well, that was, you know, somebody put this thing together, sort of distancing right. himself from, from his own report card there. He yeah. doesn't uh, even own his own 100-day plan. Right, right. Right, and the Times had a great uh, headline where it sort of said, you know, Trump thinks 100 days is has no value and still wants an A. I mean, so, and and don't we think that the one of the main conclusions we can draw about the president that maybe we knew going in but certainly has been confirmed is, he, he can be on all sides of an issue within an hour. I mean, I, the, the, I think the biggest struggle we have is, and one of the things I think we said in the editorial is we're going to take what he, you know, we have a right to take what he says at face value, like any politician. I don't think we've ever seen uh, an office holder, certainly not a president who is so unfocused on what he says almost on a daily basis. I mean, it you know, uh, 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 NATO is obsolete. No, it's not obsolete anymore. And China manipulates its currency. No, it doesn't really manipulate its currency. I mean, things that w sort of easily understood statements from the president are are overturned sometimes within the same, you know, afternoon. I think that's a struggle for us as reporters because, you know, all we live by is what these guys say, but it's also a struggle for the American people in reaching a judgment on the guy. Right. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it the challenge is, for us, the positions he's reached most recently, I think we would agree with more with some of these positions, with him coming around the idea that NATO is not obsolete and coming around the idea that China is not a currency manipulator and that you actually need to work with them. And um, and so it's a, it's a struggle to determine, should we praise him for where he is now or should we criticize him for the fact that he's been all over the map? Right. And it's interesting, though, the degree that which he's flip-flopped. So China and, and as a manipulator, Currency. currency manipulator, for yeah. instance, his, his changes in position from the campaign to president have been towards the conventional and away yes. from the unorthodox. So that if, if you were a, a Democrat, particularly, who feared all the world come crashing down when Donald Trump is president, what he's done so far is has been a little bit more to the norm. Right. 
Well, and it's interesting how how much has happened within the White House. And you talked about the palace intrigue. And I mean, just within this very short time frame, we've seen kind of the rise and fall of Steve Bannon's influence, where it seemed like Steve Bannon was calling a lot of the shots. And then all of a sudden, he was kind of pushed aside. And, and Donald Trump's daughter, Ivanka, and her husband, Jared Kushner, suddenly were emerging as more influential. And they seemed to be pushing him more toward the conventional. And so... Um, so it's been at a dizzying pace, which he's kind of uh, uh, where his views have evolved and where he's already changed which advisors he's listening to. Right. right. And I think the other part of that dynamic is I think uh, uh, Donald Trump and his team entered the White House with an unbelievable level of arrogance about what they were going to be able to do and wanted to do based on the election. I think they thought, hey. But they're not distinct. Everybody, you know, the Clintons were the same way. They were going to change Washington. Carter was going to change Washington. But within norms, within understood norms, you know, Obama's going to do this, or George Bush, we want to cut taxes. Obama wants to get health care or whatever. But I think, and the inaugural address was so important in understanding this because it was by all judgments horrible. And and it was basically. Well, not by all judgments. Half the country loved that speech. Well, I'm not sure that's. I mean, I think in retrospect, if you read the reviews now, there's a great deal of consternation about the nationalism that was embedded in it. My point is, once the team got into the White House, they realized things aren't so damn simple on any front, that there's nuance, that it's not black and white, up or down, left or right, that maybe the election might have convinced them they did understand. I mean, the, the whole point of the election is nobody thought we could win, and we won, so we know what we're doing, you don't. And I think facts and events, much more than what journalists wrote, facts and events have convinced them that you have to be a little more circumspect about some of these things. And so I don't think I don't think Donald Trump has changed his mind on whether China manipulates its currency. What I do think is he understands if you're attacking China on that, you don't get their help in Korea. That is new well, for him. There's also some evidence, and his people based on his own statements, that he's begun to look... Uh, for instance, at China, to, to really look at it for the first time. He yes. hadn't really mm-hmm. considered what he said on the campaign trail, felt, you know, sort of the Colbertian from the gut <laughs> kind of views. And now he's like, okay, what's China's relationship with North Korea? Oh, it's complicated. What's the deal with health care? Oh, that's really complicated. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think health care is a great example. I think the famous quote halfway through was, who knew this was so complicated? Right. Well, everyone in America except you, Mr. Right. President. Right. We are at least people who studied it. But reality and events have changed his approach in some ways. Now, what I think Colleen is talking about is very interesting to me is, to what extent do uh, pundits and journalists and editorial writers try to encourage the good Trump uh, or do we say, no, Trump is incorrigible and nothing he does is good? And that gets back to that initial editorial. Right. And, and a lot of the criticism directed at that editorial from liberals in the city was he isn't, they believe he is incorrigible. Right. Right. And I just don't think that's a. Pr- Right approach. Now, again, my colleague. You, you feel he's corrigible? <laughs> <laughs> Our goal is to be constructive. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, like it or not, he no, is. No, I get your goal, but do you right. feel he's that, that he can move to reasonable positions that, the, that's, that you all feel That's still TBD, reasonable? but there is some evidence that he's learning on the job. And, and, you know, you see him come out of the meeting with President Xi from China, and, you know, he obviously absorbs some things from that conversation, and, and that helps shape his thinking. I guess the question is— but That's also troubling in its own respect, yes. because yeah. you want to— 
you, you want to understand China as the American president, maybe the Chinese leader is not the best right. source to get that. Right, exactly. And and also you have the, the constant concern that Trump just listens to the last person he heard. And uh, and so, you know, that's what's in his head at the moment. But what happens when someone else comes along whom he trusts and values their opinion and says something completely different? Is he going to swing back wildly the other direction? Well, the other thing I think we can say after 100 days, which is pretty scary to me, is he seems to lack intellectual curiosity about the specifics of government policy. I mean, I get he understands politics and ratings and who's up and who's down. But if you said to him, if you if you were sitting here, you said, Mr. President, what's in the new health bill? No clue. He would have no clue whatsoever. I think I'm safe in saying that. And I think that that's that's a very worrisome thing going forward. Now, maybe we understood that at election time. No, but time, something but like, you know, it's a little different when we're dealing with the Koreans or the Iranians. But on, on health care, maybe that's not so dangerous. That sort of, he delegates that then to Paul Ryan or, or to other people who have a, a foundation of experience in these issues and some strong convictions where he doesn't, I mean, he's sort of ambiguous right, about right, but, he, how but, he feels. But health care is a classic example because... I think he lacks still a theory of the case. I, you're right. He doesn't need to know the pre-existing condition waiver relative to Section 13. I get that. But but when you say, what do you want to do? And he says, we want to lower costs and cover everybody. Well, yeah. <laughs> we all want that. <laughs> that it's sounds fantastic. And ride unicorns to work would be nice right, too, right. wouldn't it? And don't you... Don't and Scott, you chime in. Don't you think that's what's the most worrisome? That he seems stuck in these points of view that have no sort of basis in fact and reality. You know that no, he I, wants I to disagree do. with you. I think if it, he's the opposite, he's not stuck in any point of view because he, there's no ide, ideological core to his well, outlook. We're saying the same thing. <laughs> I mean, my point is. He wants to reform health care not because he has an idea of a better way to do it, and certainly not because he's spent his whole life studying health care. It's because it would put points on the board, you know, and he's all about points on the board regardless of the facts. Yeah, democracy's a bitch. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, that, that, and he's trying to do what, what he thinks is popular, and sometimes that works out Wouldn't well. you say that's the most... Colleen, I mean, yeah. that's the thing that worries me the most, that that he does, it's just such an unfixed star, and that makes, drives us crazy, but it may drive the American people crazy eventually, too. Well, and I think it's going to be fascinating to watch going forward, because how do his ardent supporters react to that? Because they elected yes. him to do one thing, and because he is, as you say, an unfixed star and willing to move how do people who elected him because they believed what he said about health care or because they wanted an America first mentality respond when he swings completely right, in the other direction? Right. And how do moderate Republicans and independents and Democrats, for that matter, react when he moves their direction? Are they going to be willing to give him a chance at all if all of a sudden he is doing what they want, but right. he's still Donald Trump and okay, they don't so want to him? To that point, let, there's, let's talk about the polls for a second. They're not uh, good. <laughs> well, in one respect, his, his numbers are in the crapper. His um, ABC News, Washington Post, 42% approve, 53% disapprove. Uh, NBC, Wall Street Journal, roughly the same, 40 and 54. But about two-thirds say that both the Democrats and the Republicans are out of touch. They think Trump's out of touch, but less so. 
And if you ask them who they'd vote for today, it's actually 43 Trump to 40 Clinton. Remember, she won the, right. Right. <laughs> the popular, the popular vote. vote. Right. So, you know, you're right that the thinkers, the, the sort of establishment folks who marinate in policy and bore the heck out of us, mm-hmm. they're uneasy with them. This is the Dave Hellings I'm talking about. <laughs> but there's still a, a good por- portion of the country out there that is just locked into red, blue, Coke, Pepsi kind of world. Right. Well, and I think there's so much... Lack, faith lacking in institutions at this point. And, uh, and there are so many voters out there who still just want to disrupt the status quo. And, and no doubt Trump is a disruptor. And so, I mean, his, his base is sticking with him because they want him to blow up the system. And, uh, and so we haven't really seen the consequences, real life consequences yet of what that means for the average voter. And so I think a lot of people who just don't think that government works are, are willing to to stick with yeah, Trump and I give him a chance true. to change it all. And I think Colleen is saying something very important, and your poll numbers, too, Scott, point this out, is I may obsess by, with the fact that Trump doesn't know health care details, but the public doesn't. I mean, it isn't as if voters are sitting around every day going, boy, what an idiot. He doesn't know what pre-existing conditions coverage is or whatever. Now, they will, they will if there are changes in health care that affect them at the hospital or the doctor's office, I think Donald Trump will get the credit or blame one way or the other. So when there's a real sense of it, it'll be a problem. But by and large, people are not as obsessed with policy as we are. But eventually, and I think Sam Brownback is such a good example of this. You know, Sam Brownback is a Republican in one of the most Republican states in the nation, and yet he's incredibly unpopular. Now, that's six years after his, he was originally elect, elected, or seven years, because the drumbeat of he didn't do this, he didn't do this, he hasn't done this, your credit rating is down, your schools, eventually takes a toll. I think Donald Trump will always have 30% of the public who supports him, really, almost no matter what he decides. In fact, they trust him so much that, that they believe whatever he says is true and should go forward. But And so he's got about a plus 10, plus 15 to that now. As disappointments mount, if they do, that 15 continues to shrink, and then he's really down to his 30%. The wall with Mexico is a classic example of that. Because even as early as, or late as last week, no, I want wall money in the, in the continuing appropriation or, or what, whatever instrument they come up with, I've, and then all of a sudden, no, we don't really need the wall. And now they're sort of saying, well, well we don't know, need it. He's saying we don't need the wall money money right, right now. Right, right. But some other people in his administration are saying, well, maybe it's a metaphor. Maybe it's tighter <laughs> security. It's not maybe really, it's not a, phys- really a, wall. a physical wall. Yeah. Well, we get that. We'll write it. We laugh about it. The public will give him space, his supporters. But at some point, maybe that space runs out. Maybe if he doesn't get the money in September. Maybe if the Mexicans never pay for the wall. I mean... If you believe anything about how politics works, at some point you have to believe the public does hold the president to some standard. Maybe not after 100 days, maybe it's after a year or whatever. But I think Sam Brownback is illustrative of the fact that that judgment day does come whether you want to or not, and accomplishments and reality are more important than rhetoric. Yeah, the re-elected Sam Brownback. Colleen, you said a minute ago um, that, that clearly a lot of people voted for him to blow up the, the conventional somewhat the uh, system in Washington, partly because of the, the feeling about corruption, both hard and soft, as uh, a member of the Give Trump a Chance camp, <laughs> do you see anything where he's blown something up that 
has hope for us, or is it too early to expect that? I, th- I think it's pretty early on that front. Um, I mean, certainly he's doing things differently <laughs> in, in any number of ways. And I, I think that people, uh, I mean, there's certainly a haphazardness and chaotic uh, nature to this White House. And I, a lot of us look at that and say, how are they not more prepared? And how are they not, uh, why don't they have their, their T's crossed and their I's dotted? Um, but I, I think that some people appreciate the fact that they kind of just seem to be uh, going with their gut and and doing things. And and it is too early f- to really point to something where and say, you know, they're doing this completely differently. But uh, certainly they're threatening to. And we'll we'll see how that works. Uh-uh. <laughs> Here's one way they're, they're talking about blowing things up with the tax plan coming out mm-hmm. you know, as we speak, as we speak. And we think that the, what he's going to do is take the corporate tax rate, which is just shy of 40 percent, I think, cut it down to 15 percent. And for us regular folks, increase the standard deduction. So it's it, that we haven't had that sort of overall overhaul of tax system '86 and Reagan. Um, th- there may be some really clever political machinations here. So if he were able to get something like this through, and that's a, ch- a ginormous if, um, down the road the deficit just goes bananas. Right. The, the, the yes. federal debt goes out of control. But in the short term, that's a there's your adrenaline, shot of adrenaline to the heart of the economy that Sam Brownback talked about in Kansas, but actually would have a chance of taking hold in the short term. Right, which I, which I think reflects the, the Trumpian bet, the, the, the single biggest bet. All the chips are in uh, on job creation and economy. That's what, you know, all this other stuff. Now, foreign policy will make a difference if we get into a shooting war, but by and large, I don't think he thinks that's significant politically. I don't think some, even healthcare to a degree, he never seemed really that interested in as an issue, well, we'll get to it or whatever. But goosing the economy, growth, job creation, that's all his bets are in on that. Um, but as many people are pointing out, the devil will first be in the details of the tax policy. And second, um, I think people will come to understand that raising the standard deduction makes your taxes easier to file, but may not save you a lot of money. I mean, that, you know, the standard deduction, unless it's just, you know, $100,000 per person or something. So, so there may be some disappointment embedded in that when people don't see their tax bills go down, but they do see corporate tax bills shrink from 39% or 35% down to 15%. Yeah, but it, it could still... It, it, Turbocharge the economy in the short it, term with right. the, with and the if it does, level. then I think he will be vindicated, and his bet will pay off, and he will be difficult to beat in in if he runs for re-election. Because I do think that's at the core, the absolute core of his appeal to most Americans that voted for him, which is he will make when he says make America great again. What they think he means is bring back jobs like we used to have where Dad was making 65000 had two weeks of paid vacation, good health insurance. And, and you know, if the, now, as a, on the merits, will cutting taxes help America adjust to what is clearly a changing economy? I don't know. I mean, well, maybe that's another 100 days or, or 100 <laughs> months or whatever. We'll figure that out. But that's clearly his bet. Uh, and the rest of it will sort of fall, I think, by the wayside, maybe. All right. Um, also, Russia, 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 right? I, I was just about to say, I can't believe we've gotten this far in, and we haven't even uttered the R word. Um, it, it, do, do you also feel like this is going to be something that's going to sink him in a significant way, Colleen? 
I mean, it's going to dog him indefinitely. And, you know, just this week we are seeing very unsettling details come out about Michael Flynn, perhaps breaking the law. His first national security advisor didn't last very long because of the conflicts, because he met with Russians in ways that he didn't disclose. Absolutely. And, And so, I mean, I think it's easy to quickly lose sight of these things because things are moving at such a breakneck pace and there have been a thousand other stories since Michael Flynn left. But it's like, we need to remember, this was the top national security advisor to the president for the first month in office. And and he failed to disclose payments from the Russians, payments from Turkey. Uh, even Republicans think he broke the law. There's still so much that we don't know about connections between Trump world and Russia. And so, I mean, we're, this is still just the tip of the iceberg. And if the Trump White House thinks this is going to just kind of fade into the background, they're mistaken. Yeah, but it's going to be fascinating to me how much that will rub off on Trump, whether he's Teflon or not. Because part of his, you know, we talked earlier about he's new to issues and such. It's a plausible argument that yeah, I wasn't in on the loop. You know, that I, I wasn't aware of this. It, you know, I, sorry, but, you know, to, right. don't judge me because and, I had some bad guys around. And, and I think the Democrats <clears throat> will make a mistake if they pursue the argument that Hillary Clinton lost because of Russian interference in the election. I, a, yeah, I, but aren't we sort of beyond that? The issue isn't wh- well, wh- why, why the election came. It was whether the dealings of Trump and those in his orbit were above board or not. No, I agree with that. And that drip, drip, drip will be a problem. Not, you know, for all of the people around him, not just certain people under the microscope now. But but I do think you're right. We've moved on it, but I don't think Democrats have. I think a lot of Democrats want to expose some sort of connection between WikiLeaks and what happened to her. And, and I, I, I agree with you, actually. They should move on they, they, because I don't think the public really, you know, and I think this is one of Trump's problems, by the way. The, the election is over. Most people know the election is over. They don't want to relitigate that. She lost. He won. Go. He's still obsessed with it, and I think the Democrats to some degree are obsessed with it as well. So I think, broadly speaking, Russia as a Watergate-like scandal is probably less important than the drip, drip, drip of certain people who, you know, Paul Manafort or some of these other people who might have reached out. And I do think that'll become public, and that'll be something else he'll have to respond to. And Dave, we're talking about a possible economic uh, regeneration from a tax cut, but you said sort of short of a shooting war. Are you too concerned that there are things going on now that either the way he's handling them or more likely events moving at their own pace are likely to bring us into a shooting war? We've got the carrier that wasn't going to the Korean Peninsula and now apparently is. The Koreans have, you know, made noise about, you know, sinking that carrier, which actually is something that they might have the capability to do. We had the the Pacific, the head of the Pacific Command, I think it was today or yesterday, Said that the Russia or the Chinese. excuse me that no the North Koreans yeah. have the ability to to hit Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Now I, I think there's <clears throat> cause for concern here. Uh, I guess the question is you know what lessons is Donald Trump learning in the in the realm of foreign policy and. It, He's made some decisions that we've praised. You know, he received generally positive response to how he handled Syria. But then uh, 
his his kind of saber rattling with North Korea is a different matter. And he has surrounded himself with generals. The question is, is he going to listen to uh, the folks? A lot of people feel confident are kind of the adults in the room. Is he going to take good advice from some of the folks in in his cabinet? And uh, and and how much kind of one upsmanship is is he willing to pursue in in the realm of foreign policy? And I mean, he's still really very much a blank slate on foreign policy. We just don't understand his worldview, and I think his worldview is still being formulated. Yeah. And so that's that's a little bit un, unsettling. Yeah. Right, even the, even the missile attack on Syria don't really give us a clue to what he might do in some other situation. It was a one-time thing. It had limited effect. Um, it, 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 it you know it, it doesn't really give signal to the Syrians or others how to behave in response to the possible retaliation. Yeah. I think from we Americans. can say after a hundred days. I think Colleen's right that that understanding you know Trump foreign policy is very difficult. This, but we do know that that generally speaking, foreign affairs requires a level of subtlety <laughs> and understanding uh, and approach that is utterly foreign to Donald Trump. And, and that's what's more worrisome than anything, because I do think he has a team around him that, that sort of gets that, but he doesn't. And, and uh, you know, it's one thing to be, uh, he picked a fight with Canada, which I find <laughs> hilarious, but, but, but it's one thing to be belligerent on Twitter to a country that doesn't have nuclear weapons or doesn't, but someone around him needs to convince the president that he needs to think harder before he says things in the foreign arena that may exacerbate tensions in ways that he doesn't understand or the or the other countries don't understand. I think, you know, and, and the currency manipulation thing is another example of that. He now understands why the Chinese are angry about that and why he needs the Chinese for Korea. That's growth for him, I think. Or someone around him who's telling him, uh, telling him to sort of calm it down. Let me just add quickly, because th- we can't ignore this on the hundred days either. Is his use of Twitter is uh, a disaster? Uh, you know, I know he thinks he communicates with the world that way, but he now it may be politically smart because it turn it, it, it you know Twitter dominates his the news cycle, and he may be wanting people to look at this big shiny ar- object over here, but. Uh, it's exhausting. It's not helpful in almost any way. I just don't. Uh, I know he's addicted to it, but I don't think it's helpful. And by and, and a corollary to that is all his trips to Mar-a-Lago are going to be an issue. His personal behavior, uh, you know, spending taxpayer money to go down to the retreat and that type of thing, I do think will be an issue for him. If not now, maybe six. Eight, you know, I think one of his Achilles' heel on the the tax plan is the fact that he hasn't released his own taxes. Yes. Right. And yes. what I, you know, I hear from people so often is, you know, when they talk about health care, well, if Congress had the same health care that the rest of us, exactly. or if if I heard a guy the other day was, was been in my ear that if if we we should have a law that mandates that every Congress person fill out their own taxes, then they'd get it. <laughs> right. That's a and that sort thing. of thing could play into, you know, here's this richy rich guy who no, doesn't have exactly to mess with it, right. got a lawyer, doesn't pay, and yet you want to change the system? It, it puts a different kind of scrutiny. One, on. one of the things that people miss in Kansas is that pe- Sam Brownback is unpopular for his tax cuts because the credit rating goes down and we're, we've got a billion dollar shortfall or 900 million, whatever. But another reason it's unpopular is because people think it's unfair to give small business owners zero taxes, state taxes, while the secretary or the, you know, the accountant is paying, you know, 5% or whatever it is in the state of Kansas, 4%. 
that's the exact problem that Trump's going to run into when he proposes this huge business tax uh, cut. People are going to say, well, that's not fair to give business owners that kind of uh, you know, reduction when I'm not getting it. And by the way, you're helping yourself, Mr. President. You, you think that's right? or Yes. Well, and, and I mean, to the helping yourself point, I mean, that's the question of the, the his tax returns. Right. People want to see his tax returns so that we can know, is he proposing a plan that is very, that very neatly him. <laughs> helps him in every way possible? And so it's hard to kind of assess his tax reform policy without knowing exactly how yeah. much it helps him. And, until and I he... think that'll hurt him over time. Again, not now. But six months from now, if things aren't going well, if you don't get the boom that you talked about from the tax cuts, if health care is still a muddled mess, if we are close to a shooting war, then people are going to start saying, what are you doing golfing every weekend? Why won't you release your tax return? Are you self-dealing? And by the way, all these conflicts of interest with your children in the White House are a problem. I mean, that's the, that's the collision that's coming. It, you know, uh, it may be six months from now, it may be a year from now, but I think that unless they're careful, that's what they're going to run right. into. And of course, our first big test will be the 2018 congressional elections and, and whether he's a, an anchor or a, a pair of wings for the Republicans. Listen, let's wrap it up. Thank you both for being here. Oh, great. Thank you all out listening to Deep Background. We hope you'll give us a review and share the idea that we're out here with other people. And you have been on Deep Background. <laughs> <laughs>